As I was thinking, preparing for the message this week, kind of thinking through, praying through the message that it seemed like the Lord wanted us to, to kind of listen to together, our text got me thinking about something I don't think about very often, and that's, it got me thinking about light and the incredible power of light. And I was thinking one day, I was thinking, you know, if I'd have all the lights come down in this auditorium and I lit a singular match, I guarantee all of us would see that little one-inch flame glowing up here. There was one time where, where this truth was made abundantly clear to me. I was on a flight from London to Kenya about 10 years ago, and as we were flying over North Africa, we were over the Sahara Desert, and if you don't know, the Sahara is just this massive desert. Right? It's bigger than, than the landmass of the United States, right? Just this massive desert. And it happened to be a night when we were flying when, when the moon wasn't shining brightly. I don't know if it was cloudy or if it was a new moon, something like that. But for whatever reason, as I looked out the window, it was complete and utter darkness. I couldn't see where the land ended and the sky began. The horizon was invisible. It was just darkness as far as you could see, this chasm of darkness. As I stared out the window... Suddenly there appeared on the desert floor this singular little light glowing. This little light piercing through the darkness. And as I thought about it, I thought, surely it's a campfire of some nomadic tribe that lives in the Sahara. And you just have to stop and think for a second, man, what would, what's their life like, right? It was just amazing to me. Here's this little campfire down on the desert floor. And here I am six miles above in my, in my airplane seat, and I can see that light six miles away. It was astounding to me just thinking about the great distance that light is traveling. And it got me thinking about the incredible power of light, the way it pierces through the darkness, the way it presses through the darkness and kind of shines forth. 2,000 years ago, Jesus gathered followers together, and he preached his first sermon to them. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And in that sermon, he compares his followers to light. And just like that campfire in the Sahara, Jesus intends that his followers, that these lights would have an impact, would pierce through the darkness. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew 5. We're just going to sit in three verses today. As we reflect on what Jesus said. So Matthew 5, starting in verse 14. Jesus says this. He says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Imagine being in that first century context and hearing Jesus say those words. These, this sermon took place in, in Galilee, and so really Galilee was kind of the backwaters of Israel, kind of unimportant land, overlooked land, somewhat forgotten. The people in Judea and in Jerusalem would look down on Galileans. They talked funny. They weren't important in their mind. As I was thinking through this, I thought, you know, if Galilee launched an ad campaign, it might sound a little bit like this. It might be Galilee. Honestly, it's not for everyone. Right? And yet in the midst of this unimportant place where amazing things don't happen, something remarkable was breaking forth. 
Something remarkable was kind of shining forth where, where remarkable things don't occur, at least in the world's eyes. We know what that's like a little bit, don't we? No one expects anything amazing or any movement or anything really important to come from a place like Nebraska, right? Those things start in New York or in Los Angeles or London, Hong Kong, somewhere else, certainly not here, not with people like us. And the same was true of the people in Galilee. Important things don't come from there. In Jesus' day, they come from Rome if they're political, or they come from Jerusalem if they're religious. Galilee, forgettable. And yet Jesus looks at these people in Galilee and he says, you are the light of the world. Now, if you're like me, your first response when you hear that might be that you're inclined to pull Jesus aside if you're there and you want to say to him, hey, I think, I think you got the pronoun wrong. It's not that we're the light of the world, you're the light of the world. You kind of messed up, like Peter. Jesus, you can't say that. But Jesus didn't get it wrong. Our text isn't wrong. There isn't some other translation I could tell you about this morning. Jesus emphatically said, you are the light of the world. And if he said it to his followers in that time, in that place, I'm confident he would say it to us today. And so I want to say it really emphatically this morning to you. Church, Christians, Lincoln Bereanites, or whatever we're called, you are the light of the world. I'll contextualize it a little more. I'll pick on section three. Section three, you're the light of the world. That's right. If I were really bold, I'd pick a few names out and embarrass you. You are the light of the world. We've got to personalize this. If you're like me, that makes you feel a little overwhelmed. A little overwhelmed. I think to myself, I don't know that I'm quite up to that task. Have you ever felt that way? That something's been pronounced on you or a responsibility has been given to you and it's just too much to bear. You think to yourself, I can't, I can't do it. I've felt this way a number of times in my life. I remember when I got married. And you know, you're kind of preparing and you think about the vows that you're about to say. And if we're really honest, marriage vows are audacious statements, right? You know, my wife's right here. I said, until death do us part. I was in my 20s. Like, what was I thinking? You know, <laughs> it's a bold proclamation. I remember bringing my son who's nine home. He's nine years old now, bringing him home for the first time and holding this little person and thinking, who, who authorized this? <laughs> like, I don't know that we can do this. I hope that you feel that way sometimes. I hope that you feel like you are in over your head sometimes because it signifies that we're living beyond ourselves. We're having to step out in faith. We're getting out of our normal, easy routines. See, the great thing for us as Christians is that when we do this, when we live outside our comfort zone, when we step out, we take on responsibilities that are bigger than we can possibly bear, what it does is it causes us to cling to faith. When we step out past what we're comfortable with, when we take on too big of a challenge, what we have to do is we start to have this crisis and we start to realize, I need help. I need someone to come, someone that's strong enough, big enough to help me follow through on this responsibility because in and of myself, I just, I just can't do it. And if any of you thought this morning when, I, when we heard Jesus say, you're the light of the world, if any of you thought, yeah, that's about right. 
Uh, you know, I am pretty great. We have some people up here that would like to pray for you when this service is done. <laughs> I remember when I went to a buddy's wedding. It was six months after I got married. And so I was a pro by now, right? I got this husbanding thing down. And he asked me, I think he was joking, but he asked me, hey, do you have any advice for me? And I was like, well, yeah, I do, you know. But I said then, what I think I would still say now, is six months into marriage, I realized I don't have it in me to love my wife the way that she needs to be loved. I can't do it. Can't do it. But I know that God can. I know that God knows exactly what my wife needs. And so it's causing me to just run after God as hard as I can. I have to learn from him, right? Because left to myself, all I really do is just kind of love myself. I become very self-centered. So I have to cling to this person that can teach me, that has the capacity to provide the type of love that she needs. I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you that, that you are the light of the world, and that is overwhelming, but it's absolutely true. And the reason it's so great is it causes you to seek out someone that can deliver on that statement. And that's a good thing because we are people that are with Jesus, aren't we? We're with Jesus. Listen to his words about himself here in the Gospel of John. In John 8, 12, he says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. That sounds better, doesn't it? Jesus is the light of the world. Whoever walks with him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We already kind of talked about how, how this took place in Galilee, and, and the people that were surrounding Jesus weren't all-stars. These were people who were utterly normal. And as impressive as a group is, uh, that you are this morning, I can just tell you that, that as a people, we are just average people, right? But see, what Jesus does and what God does through him is he takes what is normal and he makes it extraordinary. He does amazing things with normal people. These first listeners were, were utterly normal, didn't have any privilege, didn't have any pedigree. They didn't have all the right religious diplomas on the wall. But Jesus looked at them and said, you are the light of the world. And see, here's the thing about them. See, they were people who became disciples of Jesus. They laid their life down. They clung to him. And in doing that, they clung to the very source of light and life himself. And that changes everything. That changes everything. See, what Jesus came and revealed to this group and continues to reveal is what God is doing in the world. And what God is doing in the world is he through Christ, is taking the ordinary, taking people like you and me, hurt people, broken people, confused people, overwhelmed people, and he's bringing about the very life of Christ inside people just like you and me. That's the work that, that God is doing in Christ. And that's why Jesus could proclaim so boldly, you are the light of of the world. The reason he can say that so boldly is because we are with him and we are the light because he is the light. 
And as we cling to him, as we seek him, as we get near to him, his life starts to grow inside of us such that it gets to the point where, where he is the one that's living our life. Not necessarily us anymore. If you're here this morning and you have not come to the point where you said, you know what, I'm in over my head in life generally, I have got to find a source bigger than myself that can, that can pull me through all that I'm experiencing. I want to encourage you to place your confidence, your trust in Jesus. Place your faith in Jesus because he is the light and those who are with him have found the light of life. See, the great privilege that God has invited us into is to be with him and to be with him engaged in the work that he is doing. And as we seek to go out into the darkness, what happens is that we start to shine and God is made known through us. And it's an incredible thing to be engaged with him in. Because we're light, and light, of course, is intended to shine, right? That's what light does. Light illumines things. Light gives direction. Light is a conspicuous thing. It shines forth. So listen as Jesus continues at the end of verse 14 and into verse 15. He says, A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Now, I don't think we hear it quite right when Jesus says this. I actually think he's intending to be a little bit funny. I think he's kind of being sarcastic here. I think his first listeners would have kind of chuckled because, of course, these images are ridiculous images. A city that's hidden, ridiculous. Someone lighting a lamp and then covering it up, you know, that's, that's silly. Cities don't hide. You don't light a lamp in order to get light and then just cover it up. If we were camping in the woods and we were on a dark trail and someone lit a flashlight and then put it in their backpack, all of us would be like, hey, we're going to be in the poison ivy soon. Get that light back out. I think the response he's trying to provoke is, is, is for us to say, well, duh, yeah, light, light shines. That's what light does. Of course, Jesus, of course you can't hide a city. Light is meant to shine. We, as lights, are meant to shine. But I think this has gotten a little complex in our day, hasn't it? See, the current cultural mood that's kind of coming at us as Christians is that our faith is supposed to be a private kind of thing. Right? Don't bring that into the public sphere. The public sector, that's, that's where your faith it doesn't belong. Faith needs to be private. But I want to argue with you this morning that the idea of private faith is just as ridiculous as the idea of a city on a hill that isn't seen or of lighting a lamp and covering it up. It's ridiculous. It's, it's, not, it's not that I'm saying, I'm not trying to urge you to let your faith be public. I'm not saying that. I'm saying faith is public. That's the nature of faith. Light shines. Faith is lived. Those of us who have placed our confidence in Jesus, we know that everything we do goes through this filter of him. And so it's impossible for me to somehow separate my faith from the major decisions we need to make in life, at work, whatever I'm doing. Faith affects everything. Light shines. Faith is lived. 
Of course, that doesn't mean that we as Christians shouldn't take a moment for some self-reflection and ask ourselves, how is our faith being lived out? How are others possibly experiencing the light that is supposed to be shining forth? So listen to Jesus here in verse 16. He says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I love that verse. Let your light shine in such a way that when people look, they don't even see you. They see beyond you and they see Jesus. And as they see Jesus, people that don't know God are caused to glorify him. They're, they're caused to say, man, whatever happened is happening there. It's amazing. It's amazing. Whatever is behind that is extraordinary. What an incredible thing. What an incredible thing. We as Christians need need to own the fact, I think, that at times as we try to live out our faith, at times we've maybe allowed our faith to become equated with things that are probably unhelpful at best. At times maybe we've allowed our faith to get conflated with maybe a particular political viewpoint, right? either on the right or on the left, and we start to equate our faith with, with that point of view. Or maybe a posture towards the world. We kind of say, well, if you're a person of faith, you have to think about things this way. Sometimes we've, we've let our faith kind of be defined only in terms of what we're against. When you look at studies of what the world thinks of us, we're kind of, they usually say that, well, Christians are pretty closed-minded. They're pretty judgmental. And you know, I don't know, I'm not giving total credence to that, but I do know that there are times where I can be judgmental, right? I I have that capacity in me. And so where that might be true, I just kind of want to own it and say, you know what? Yeah, maybe. And I want to turn my eyes back to Jesus and consider the way he shone forth when he was walking on this earth. I want him to shine, not not me. I don't want to obscure what he is doing. So think about the way Jesus lived on this earth. I think it's safe to say that he lived according to love. Love is what reigned for him. Now, we got to define love, right? What we mean by love is we love something when we seek to bring about what is good for that thing or that person. And good is defined as what God says is good. So does that mean that Jesus upset people sometimes? Absolutely. He never acquiesced to the world in order to be liked. But he did live by love, and he was always seeking to bring good, as God defines it, into the life of those he interacted with. Jesus lived with this rock-solid, grounded faith in God's love for him, and he was so confident in that that when others would curse him, he didn't have to return curse. He could return blessing. Think about him on the cross, right? His murderers are right there and he looks and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Blessing just flowed from him and it was grounded in his sense of identity in the Father. He lived by wisdom, right? He so wisely navigated the complexities of life. Jesus did all this and more. He walked through life so well. And so we have to ask ourselves, does the world need this? Does the world that is marked by darkness need this? And the answer is desperately. 
The world is waiting. It's longing for the people of God to reflect Christ to them, to bring light into the dark places. As we were, as we were reminded this past week, to be present. Our book reminded us to be present, to be thoughtful, to be intentional, to be vulnerable, to be humble as we're interacting with those outside the church. The world's waiting for this. We are the people who are the light. We are the light because we're with the source of life. We are the light of the world because he is the light of the world. Now, as we've been going through this compelling series, we've been saying, you know, we got to get practical. This can't just be the kind of thing where at the end of the day, at the end of the service, we just say, well, that was really, that was really interesting. Where are we having lunch? You know? We want to try to think about how we can apply these things. So with the last few minutes, I want to think about applications for this. As I think about this text and the way it impacts me, there's two main questions that come to mind for me. The first one is this. Am I seeking to get as close to the source of light as is humanly possible? Am I intentionally running after Jesus, cultivating my relationship with him? Am I doing that? Am I getting near to him? I mentioned my, my best friend earlier. His name is Jeff. And, and you know, there are times where we, we speak on the phone about every two weeks. And every time I'm on the phone with Jeff, Janae never needs to ask who I'm talking to because we start to talk funny, right? Like our whole verbiage changed. The way we pronounce things changed. Our pace of speaking changes. Every, we kind of take on this new voice that's kind of like the Jeff Ryan voice or whatever. I don't know. It's probably a little ridiculous. I'd be embarrassed if you heard it, I bet. But see, what happens is that I'm so close to Jeff that as we're together, we just kind of rub off on one another. Our relationship kind of transforms both of us into different people. That's the way friendship works. That's what's so great about it. And our friendship with Jesus is no different. As I seek to be close to him, as I interact with him, as I listen to him, and I, I try to hear his voice, he starts to live in me, and he starts to transform the way that I hear and the way that I see, and the way that I think, the way that I live my faith out in the world, as I get near to Jesus, my life starts to be transformed and starts to look a lot like his life. And so am I doing that? If not, what do I need to change so that I am doing that? Because the world does not need more Ryan, right? The world needs Jesus. So are we people that are getting close to the light? That's the first question. Here's the second question. Am I living in such a way that I am actively pressing out into the darkness on a regular basis in my life? Am I getting near to those who need to be exposed to the light of the world? Let's think through a couple ways that, that, that we might do that. So what if we really believe that when Jesus says we are the light of the world, what if we really believed what he was saying? How would that change the way we walk into work? If we thought, you know what, at my workplace, there is darkness. Not that the people are bad. None of that is about this, that. It's, it's, it's just that there's darkness. There are people who need the light of Christ. And what if I went into work thinking, 
I'm the light of the world because the source of all light is right here with me. How might that change the way I approached work? Or our neighborhoods? How would it change the way we interact in our neighborhoods? Maybe it would mean that at the end of the day, we wouldn't just close the garage door immediately. Maybe we'd linger a little bit. And trust me, I know at the end of a workday, well, that's just the last thing you want to do. Isn't it? Let's just be honest. What you want to do is just go veg, right? But what if we were people that thought and actually believed Jesus when he says, you are the light of the world, and we lingered long enough with our neighbors, got to know their families, started to listen, and maybe actually started to hear, as Jesus hears, some of the hurt in their voice, and we ministered to them there? What if we lived that way? I love these baby dedication weekends, these children dedication weekends, because I think about all the kids that come to this church. There's so many kids here. I guarantee if we, if we kind of charted it, I bet they go to every school in this city. And what if we were people that in our families and with our, our, our friends' kids and with our, our nieces and nephews, what if we were people that were just kind of actively trying to cultivate the life and light of Christ in our families and with our kids? And as they're growing up, they're going out into their schools and they are living as lights in dark places. What an amazing thing that would be. We're a pretty big church. On an average weekend, about 4,000 of us walk through these doors and, and call this our church home. And so what if we became people that came and worshiped and glorified God and worshiped the Son And then as we departed, we saw it as this great privilege to go out as 4,000 points of light out into the neighborhoods, out into the workplaces, out into the schools and into the regions surrounding Lincoln. How long would it take before this city would start to be transformed? I don't think it would take very long. Now, maybe you're like me. See, I'm a pastor, right? And so... I kind of live in this world with all these Christians all day. It's like light bright world. That's kind of what I was thinking the other day. It's just a lot of light, you know? Now that doesn't mean it's all good, trust me, okay? I work with Brian Olson. And let me tell you something. It's rough. I texted Brian last night. I said, hey, is that okay? I hope, I hope you didn't get offended by that. He was very mad. Maybe for people like me, you realize, you know what, I'm not surrounded. I'm, I'm mostly with Christians all the time, and I need to think, how do I actively change my routine a little bit so I actually go to places where the, the light of Christ needs to shine forth? Maybe I need to change where I go to get a cup of coffee or where I shop. I need to pray about those that I'm working with uh, or I go to get groceries with. I need to do something different, but somehow I got to change up the routine so that I'm pressing out into the darkness. See, we're a big church, and the great thing about that is that I think if we plotted all the places we frequent in a week, we would see all of Lincoln and the surrounding areas just dotted with little points of light. And I want to be people, I want us to be people that believe God is going to do something through that. And so we need to be people that boldly and bravely believe that what Jesus says is true. We are the light of the world because we are with the light of the world and he will shine through us. And the world desperately needs to know him. 
As we close, I want to turn your thoughts again to the book that we've been reading together. And this week, our, our, our challenge is to be brave. To be brave. And I want, to, I want to just challenge you to think about what is one step that you could take Right, because it's it, it is brave is the right word because there are times where it is a little intimidating to do this. But let's believe Jesus that we are the light of the world because we are with the source of light. We are with the light of life. So let's bravely step out, believing that as we step out, as we shine forth, people will see our good works. And they won't think about us. They will see beyond us. They will see Jesus Christ and they will glorify our Father in heaven. What an amazing thing that would be. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have chosen to make us your own. We become your children. You brought light into the darkness of our lives and we thank you for that. Father, I ask that you would help us to be brave and bold, that we would have this deep conviction that we are the light of the world because you are the light of the world. And so we ask that you would give us deep conviction and courage to step out. We thank you for what you're doing through us, what you're doing in Christ, and the fact that at the end of the day, Lord, the world will come to praise you. Pray these things in your name. Amen.